faithwire.com. There is a new COVID variant, and the media wants you to be very, very afraid of it. But should you be? We'll find out. Today is Monday, November 29th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have this top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faith. Why are four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. That's what we do here. You can find us on iTunes and subscribe there. We're here Monday through Friday. We'd love to have you join us. And joining me, as always, Trey Gons Phillips and Billy Hallowell from CBN's Faith Wire with a look at what's coming up. What's going on, fellas? Happy Monday. Happy Monday. <laughs> You're the thrilled. Monday after, after Thanksgiving. We're yeah. all kind of like, do we have yeah. to be here? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the post-turkey yeah. sort of. Yeah. Turkey yeah. coma. It's right. still lingering. Mine is. Feels like uh, it is anyway. Uh, well, I had it like yeah. five times in a row. So yeah, it's like you eat it every day for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, I'm going to be talking about the Virginia college professor who made headlines for saying that it's not necessarily immoral for someone to be attracted to minors, sexually attracted to minors. Said we should call them maps, minor attracted people instead of pedophiles. So he has resigned. We'll have the details uh, on that resignation. All right. And we've got a story about a, a family, and it's really just an amazing story of Christian mercy and forgiveness. The This pastor died, and he was killed by a drunk driver, and the family chose to forgive. We'll get into mm. those details. All right. Sounds good. I mean, obviously not the accident, but the outcome and the aftermath. So uh, we'll get to those stories and more. But first, we're going to start with story number one. Omicron is here, and the media is panicked. But what's the truth? Well, here's three things you need to know, starting with number one, the details. The WHO um, is saying that it could still take some time to get a full picture of how dangerous Omicron actually is. Um, that's the new variant that uh, scientists are kind of trying to assess right now. Um, it went from just over 200 new confirmed cases per day uh, in South Africa, and they saw that jump to more than 3,200 uh, per day. So, so far, there's just no indication on if the variant causes more severe disease. In fact, uh, one South African doctor actually scolded the media for being, uh, for hyping it up a little bit too much and saying, you know, we don't know, it could change, but right now it's not warranted. Take a listen to this. Looking at the mildness of the symptoms that we are seeing, currently there's no reason for panicking as we don't see severely ill patients. I also checked with the hospital, some of the hospitals in my area, and one of the biggest hospitals, they only have one patient currently that's COVID positive on a ventilator, and they don't even know whether it's COVID, uh, you know, it's Delta or whether it is um, Omicron related. We acknowledge that it might change going forward. But the hype that's been created currently out there in the media and worldwide doesn't correlate with the clinical picture. Um, and it doesn't warrant to just cut us off from any traveling and ban South Africa as if we are the villains in the whole process. Yeah, so there, she, there you have it. Mild cases, she said. Uh, no reason to panic. The hype is not justified. Doesn't correlate with the data that we're seeing so far. So those were some pretty strong words there. Of course, she's uh, responding to President uh, Biden and others' travel bans uh, on the country, which 
Uh, we'll get to President Biden's in a minute here, especially when people dug up his old tweets about what he said uh, when President Trump did a travel ban on China in the early stages uh, of COVID-19. So experts are saying that it's extremely unlikely that current vaccines wouldn't work, uh, noting that they're effective against a bunch of other variants. Um, but one of the things that did cause alarm in South Africa and other places were that you had people that had been previously you know, vaccinated or, or um, infected with COVID getting it again. So that was kind of what was certainly raising some uh, concern among the experts. So, but again, mostly it's still not clear. So whether it's more transmissible, whether it's more easily spread, whether it, um, you know, how it compares to the other variants, if it's more severe or not, um, as you said there so far, she's only, um, they're only seeing mild cases for the most part. So number two here, um, Biden, he moved quickly to announce that he was going to ban and restrict travel to Southern Africa. And as I mentioned, people were quick to point out what he said about Trump's travel ban. And remember, he said this, he said, quote, in a tweet, we need to lead the way with science, not Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, and fear-mongering. He's the worst possible person to lead our country through a global health emergency. And he also said, a wall will not stop the coronavirus. Banning all travel from Europe or any other part of the world will not stop it. For the disease could impact every nation and any person on the planet. We need a plan to combat it. So that's from President Biden, who uh, just deployed a travel ban uh, from S Southern Africa. So, um, And when he was asked about it, they said, why? Because he didn't uh, actually enforce it until today. So they were asking, why, why did you wait? Why didn't you just do it? right away like other countries have done and he said well um because that was the recommendation coming from my medical team end quote and so uh basically it just sounds like he's doing whatever it is the medical team tells him to do uh without any you know he's just passing the buck i don't know they just they told me to do it so we did it um so there you go guys why does it matter number three obviously a lot of these nations are um you know and including us are jumping to certain restrictions when it's early on, and on the one hand, you can understand, okay, we don't want an, another version of this and a mutation spreading around. But on the other hand, is this the pattern we want to settle into where it's just the the minute something it appears, uh, people are, you know, trying to shut things down. I mean, you know, you had New York looking at some restrictions and they have zero cases so far. Now, as we know how these things work, it's probably already made its way around, but as far as we know, there's zero cases and they declare a state of emergency. So um, uh, it, declaring a state of emergency, guys, is going to be sort of like the the standard day, right? It's just like, well, we just need to keep the state of emergency <laughs> on just so we're on high alert at all the times. And um, so a, a troubling trend, to say the least, if that's the road we continue to go down. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because this weekend we also heard Fauci saying suddenly after, you know, so many, you know, I guess what, it's been almost two years now of, oh, if we just do this, the pandemic will end. If you just do that, the pandemic yeah. will end, you know, saying this is going to be an endemic. We're not going to get rid of this. We have to learn to live with it. So we've, we've kind of, we're now starting to hear them sort of shift toward, and I think some of that news was clouded 
by obviously this new variant, but it does seem like there's this recognition that we are going, we're not getting rid of this. It's going to have to become like the seasonal flu in some way where it's just (laughs) going to be here. But as far as the variant goes, it it was really strange because anybody who looked past the headlines, not just this doctor chastising the media, but even the initial reports from the doctor who, you know, first noticed this saying, look, you know, this is something that we just don't know. We don't know enough. The symptoms are mild. And it didn't, it was almost like, like whiplash just to see that report and then to watch everybody shutting down travel, everybody panicking, you know, this is not a sustainable model for how to live with something. If it's true that this is going to be an endemic and we're going to have it with us, well, we can't constantly be doing this. Look at the economy. We're seeing the effects of the initial shutdown still reverberating throughout not only America, but the world. And, you know, it's concerning on about 10 different levels. And it's also concerning, look, not every government is upstanding around the world, and some would even have you know questions about our own government and how these sort of shutdowns and warnings can be used to control people. Look at North Korea and, and other places. The, the border between China and North Korea has been shut down and will be shut down for the foreseeable future, right? So, so this, is, this is really a recipe for a disaster. Yeah, and I mean, the difference between like a seasonal flu and COVID becoming like a, a, a regular uh, every year thing that doesn't really go away, which a lot of people have been saying that for months now, like that it's that's possibly just going to or probably just going to be something that sticks around. The only difference is the government uh, drums up panic when it comes to this, yeah. uh, but but they don't with with other things. So it, it's interesting to see like Fauci again over the weekend saying, well, I don't know, it's possible we could have lockdowns all over again. Uh, this seems like a reason to panic, but don't panic. But this <laughs> It seems like a reason that we should all be panicking. Uh, and then you ask him specific questions. Well, I mean, I, we don't really know anything right now. Uh, so, so it just kind of like it, it, everything is, is an opportunity to drum up uh, some sort of panic or dependency on the media, dependency on the government. Um, so I, I, at, at a certain point, like you said, Billy, we're going to have to just live with it, accept it. And, and get on with our lives. This continual, uh, you know, perpetual seasons of panic, like it's okay now, uh, and then something changes, and now it's not okay anymore. Uh, we can't live with this uh, forever and ever. We've seen the damage it's done over two years, uh, and it's only going to get worse if we continue this this trend. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's, uh, you know, I think you should, what you're seeing with Fauci and others is them trying to toe the line there, right? Like they're they're trying to be, kind of quote-unquote responsible but then they also don't want to panic people and but this is why you need a leader this is why the president of the united states can't just say i'm just doing whatever the scientists say because scientists are not the ones that you want messaging this to the american public it's the president's job they're the ones that's supposed to strike that balance and get people to feel like we're on top of it but also you don't need to panic you're you're that's what the pr- job of the president is, part of it anyway. And they're just punting that right now over to this, mm. the quote-unquote scientists. So um, I yeah, think that's yeah. what you're seeing. It's been consistently bad communication on this from day one. Yeah. And it's spanned more than one administration now, right? Yeah. So it, it is remarkable to me to then send people out to, I mean, how many times have we seen people who are representing the administration say completely divergent things, right? Like they're, they're going, it's like, don't, nobody thought to get into a room and to say, what are our talking points right. on this? And <laughs> right. it's, I mean, it's like calm one one but yet they don't seem to be able to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's head into For story sure. number two. 
All right, so for story number two, we're going to talk about Alan Walker, the Virginia college professor over at ODU who made headlines earlier this month for suggesting that sexual attraction to minors isn't immoral so long as it's not acted upon. Uh, So we'll start number one with the details. So Walker, who identifies as non-binary, trans, and queer, uh, originally said in early November that child sexual abuse is never, ever okay. Uh, but went on to assert that to categorize people with these attractions as evil or morally corrupt is wrong because it's an attraction that they didn't ask for. Uh, He said there is no morality or immorality attached to attraction to anyone because no one can control who they're attracted to at all. Uh, So naturally, that sparked a whole lot of uh, backlash. Uh, Obviously online, libs of TikTok was like the first to share a clip of of the longer form interview uh, that Walker did with the Prostatia Foundation uh, over on YouTube. And that clip went super viral on Twitter, uh, got a ton of reaction from from people all over social media. Uh, But then even students at ODU in Norfolk, Virginia, where he's a professor, where Walker was a professor, uh, said that they were grossed out by the comments. That's what one student said. Uh, another said it's odd that this would be something that even if this professor thinks it, that it would be something that would be voiced by a, 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 an instructor at ODU. Uh, so there were several reactions uh, from other professors, from students at ODU, as well as, like I said, social media reactions, all of which were, for the most part, uh, you know, pretty negative uh, and condemning the professor. Uh, So here, this is number two. One day after the, or one day ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday, I should say, on Wednesday of last week, the university quietly announced that Walker is resigning. Uh, Walker's been on administrative leave for quite some time now. Uh, The professor, though, claimed that there have been multiple threats made against me and the campus community generally and made the decision to resign. Now, Walker will be on administrative leave throughout the rest of the year, uh, and will so Walker won't be on the campus at all and won't be instructing any sort of courses uh, and will formally resign in May at the end of the semester. Uh, so this is what ODU President Brian Hempel said about the resignation. Ideally, we would be able to debate even the most challenging issues without disruption or threats of violence, but that's not the world we live in today, uh, saying that uh, Walker's resignation is the best way to move forward. Uh, so interesting. El- interestingly, Elizabeth uh, R- Latorno, uh, the director of the Moore Center for the Prevention of Sexual uh, Child Sexual Abuse at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, she told the AP that Walker is, quote, not the first person to turn their attention to that type of work, uh, referring to pedophilia or MAPS, minor attracted persons, uh, as uh, Walker wants them to be called. Uh, Latorno said that several others in the field have been working with people with sexual attraction to children who are committed uh, to not offending. Uh, It's the way of the future, she said, arguing that non-offending pedophiles can help academicians and researchers determine the best coping mechanisms to prevent abuse. Uh, Latorno said, we all want children to grow up free from abuse. The trick is recognizing how do we do that? Uh, If we just wait for an offense to occur and put everything into the criminal justice system, we're never going to get there. So why does it matter? Like Walker has said that uh, the comments he made were mischaracterized by some in the media and online, partly because of his trans identity. 
uh, look, I think that's partially why it matters uh, because we're we're in this place where everything is like identity politics. So it's everything has to be reduced to your your sexual identity, uh, your ethnicity. Uh, like those those are the only prisms through which we can see criticisms, which seems to be to be like pretty shallow way of like there might be actual other legitimate reasons for the criticism you're facing, and it's not just because of uh, of people's disagreement with your sexual identity. Um, and two, I think it, it's a slippery slope situation here when we continue to um, to do away with some of the terminology, like, well, we can't call them pedophiles anymore because that's too stigmatizing. So we need to call them minor attracted persons. I think it takes away some of the responsibility. And that was some of the criticism that he faced was if we eliminate these words, it takes away the responsibility of the people who are attracted uh, to, to minors. Uh, we need to keep the, those stigmas in place because those stigmas uh, are important to to, to creating a, a society that recognizes what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. Uh, so I don't know. What, what do y'all think of this? It just seems like a, a crazy story that this was something a professor was saying and believed to be mainstream. Yeah, just slightly. <laughs> I mean, I... I uh, you know, I, I I've had a few conversations about this on some different shows um, that I went on, and and, and it's the same thought, like exactly as far as what that one student said, which is, you know, just because you think it doesn't mean you need to normalize it and think it's okay. Right. Like you can actually think things that are wrong. Like, like to me, that was just you know such a red flag that it th- trying to make it sound like okay, here's an I have attraction to minors. But it's okay if I don't act on it, right? As long as I don't act on it. Like, no, you you have to actually, as Christians, we need to be asking God to change the desires of our heart, right? That's what we know God can do. He can change our affections. Yeah. And so um, I guess an unbeliever doesn't have that hope. But that is something we know as Christians can happen. And so you can't stand by and allow it to be normalized and have them say, like, to, to allow the thought to fester and to and to validate that thought. It's still wrong whether it's in your mind or not. Yes. Well, and that's what, before I get your thoughts, Billy, I want to say that was the immediate thing that I thought of with Scripture saying, like, uh, well, with whether it's adultery or murder. Well, if you hate yeah. somebody, you've already committed murder yes. in your heart. So and I lusting, think just the same be- thing. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've thought it. And even though I didn't act on it, it's still an immoral thought. It's like, how can we can still very much have immoral thoughts and they're still sinful, even if I don't go out and murder somebody or if I don't actually end up lusting after somebody or I don't step out in, in, in an adulterous way. It's still immoral for me to even have that inclination. Uh, and that's why as believers, obviously, we know we need Jesus and sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the part of this that really stands out to me the most outside of the obvious disturbing elements of of all of it is the fact that, you know, what does scripture tell us? Satan is the author of confusion and there's so much confusion Mm -hmm. going on. But one of the ways that we kind of have a slow drip into massive confusion is when we start to change the meanings of words. And we talked about this a couple of weeks back when we first talked about this story, but this idea that people shouldn't ever feel shame is an insane Mm -hmm. idea. Yes, you should feel shame for certain things. This idea that we should change every term that makes us feel sad about what we're doing or what is going on in our hearts is a very toxic idea. We do this with abortion. Let's call it a fetus. We do it with lots of of other issues. Oh, well, if we change the terminology, it'll just make things a little bit less painful for us. Well, sometimes we need to be in pain or we need to understand that things are going to hurt so that we, we can actually discern 
what is confusion and what is truth, right? And being able to tell the difference between those things. And I think, you know, this story sort of underscores that attempt that we have going on in culture to change things to make us feel better about ourselves. And that is a very, very slippery slope. Mm, Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on in there, Billy, to story number three. All right, so this particular story is one that that really just stuck out to me this weekend. Uh, this involves a pastor. His name is Verilyn Strang, and he was killed last year in a, a DUI. It was a situation in which he was driving with his wife, and this is a guy who had been in ministry for decades, beloved in his Minnesota community. Uh, they're driving their car, and another man, David Nelson, is going 70 miles an hour, slams into the back of the truck. I'm sorry, slams the back of their SUV with his truck and kills the pastor. Now, this is a very tragic situation, obviously. It happened a year ago, but David Nelson's sentencing happened on November 24th. And these are the moments that really test us. And as we sort of look through the the details of this, um, you have a distraught family, a distraught community, congregants who are very obviously horrified that their pastor has died in a senseless act of vehicular homicide. And then you have, and this is really point number two here, you have the reaction of the family. Obviously, people are going to be angry and sad and frustrated. Yet in this case, what the family, the widow and the children of Pastor Verlin Strang chose to do was to forgive David Nelson. They actually you know, sat in court and said, I forgive you. I mean, the, the daughter said this, we forgive you. And, you know, the wife went up to him after. They didn't only say these things. They went up to him and hugged him. Okay, so you talk about words and you talk about action. And, you know, it's just amazing to me to see Christians live out the gospel in in such an amazing way, because I think it's easy to say we would do that. But when we're in that circumstance, would we be able to do it? And I want to just read a quote from Jamie Nelson. Now, she has the same last name as David Nelson, the man who was responsible for this. But Jamie is the daughter. They just happen to have the same last name. Uh, They're not related of the pastor. And she said, As hard as it was at first, we want you to know that we've been praying for you for the past year because we know your life has been impacted by the biggest mistake of your life. Now, this is the daughter of the pastor who was killed, having compassion and grace for the man who obviously didn't intend to do this, but he drove drunk and crashed and and killed this pastor. And so, you know, why why does this story matter? It matters because it gives us a glimpse into not only the hope, but the peace and the grace that we have when we're Christians that we can have when we lean into Christ in the midst of, you know, the most difficult circumstance that this family could have ever imagined. Again, they could have chosen anger. They could have yelled at him. They could have done things that we see happen in courts of law all over the country. And and here's where you just see a glimmer of the impact of why this matters. The judge in this case said he had never seen anything like this before. So you have the judge. And then apparently, according to media reports, the county attorney, the prosecutor, she was brought to tears by these kind acts of forgiveness. So I wanted to highlight that story. There's lots of other ones we could have chosen, but I think those moments of forgiveness are are essential to point out. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have faith on display like that, again, I mean, we talked, guys, uh, on faith versus culture about um, gospel-centered gratitude for Thanksgiving. And you know, one of the things we talked about was the fact that, you know, the blessings isn't isn't necessarily the stuff that you have. It's it's your heart and your ability to point people to God and glorify God in the midst of whatever your circumstance around you is. 
And um, so I think a lot of the frustrations we have in life is when we have misplaced wants and desires and it's kind of towards the stuff and then we don't get that stuff. And so then we get mad or we get sad or whatever. And it could be really, really important stuff like our family members, you know, losing them. But, but God has a bigger plan. And so when we can still point people to God in the midst of those things where the world can't comprehend that, that brings glory to God's name and it makes people drawn to him. Hmm. Yeah, this story made me think of First Peter two nine that says, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light." Uh, and it just reminds me that we're supposed to 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 look different to the rest of the world, like we're supposed to be nonsensical in a way to the rest of the world uh, can they can look and see why in the world would you act like that why would you extend such grace and mercy and love and forgiveness to somebody who has done nothing but destroy your family structure take away a, a, a dear loved one why would you ever react that way uh, and it's an opportunity for us to shine the light of the gospel we're supposed to look very different from the world. Mm. The gospel is like by definition completely countercultural. Like that seems to be not even strong enough of a word to describe it. Uh, it's it's an entirely different culture uh, that exists in this temporary home for believers on top of the culture that seems to be collapsing further and further into into you know disrepair uh, as the days go on uh, but the the holy culture that god has created through through christ's sacrifice on the cross that supersedes all of this and we should we should seek to be an example of that to other people and this is just a beautiful beautiful display yeah. uh, of of that faith lived out like both of you said yeah. You know, Rick Moore, who was a member at the church, he also spoke in court. So he was a non-family member, but he said, you know, look, we've been, we've all been forgiven so much. And then he said, quote, mm-hmm. how could we not forgive you? So that just kind of everything you just said, Trey, you know, biblically, he kind of spoke out there in, in very few words, but really condensed it, I think, for the courtroom there. All right. Yeah. I mean, what a difficult thing to do. So just incredible for them to, to, to show such yeah. faith and strength. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, 30 seconds, guys. One more quick story I want to throw in there. Well, while we roll up the music. Matthew McConaughey made his decision, guys, on governor. <laughs> and um, he's turned it down. Apparently, he's decided life as a as a fabulous celebrity with lots of money and mansions is better than just, I guess, running for governor and dealing with all the politics. Well, I'm sure like everyone's the better happy. trade-off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. That's all the time we have for today. We'll be back here tomorrow with more. God bless. Enjoy the rest of your day.